We've all been there. You have an unexpected medical expense. Or you get into a fender bender. But you don't have the money to pay for it immediately. Dave can help you get out of a pinch when you really need it. Dave is the banking app that could help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, finally get your car repaired, or catch up on bills without having to wait for your next paycheck. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from future you. To download the Dave app, go to dave.com today. That's D-A-V-E dot com. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve Bank and Trust. Member FDIC. Welcome to Dram Talk. Pour a dram, take a seat, and let's talk whiskey. I'm Brad. And I'm Daniel. And today we are joined by our very special guest, Emma Cookson. She is the whiskey specialist and brand ambassador at The Whiskey List, former bartender at Whiskey and Ailment, shortlisted for IWSC's 2023 Emerging Talent in Spirits Communication Award, and winner of the Icons of Whiskey 2023 Whiskey Communicator of the Year at the World Whiskey Awards. And tonight's guest on Dram Talk. Welcome, Emma. Quite a mouthful, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I've never had it read out to me before, so I'm like, oh, shoot. (laughs) And I believe that's the abridged version as well. I know you've done quite a a bit of other things. First up, I guess um, congratulations are in order for the Whiskey Communicator of the Year. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that award and um, how you found out about it? It's Well, I mean, it was quite a surprise. I I was in Canberra for work and I woke up and suddenly I had like a bajillion messages and people being like, congratulations. I had people I haven't heard from in 12 years messaging me. And I was like, what has happened? What is going on? And yeah, so the it's part of the World Whiskies Awards, which is obviously like one of the most prestigious awards, and it's under their kind of subcategory called Icons of Whiskey. So they do a Scotland and then a rest of the world, and that's things like um, brand ambassadors, whiskey communicators, and journalism, distillers, master blenders, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's everything outside of the liquid goes into the icons category which is pretty cool but it was it it was an absolute shock i like i don't think i even knew it was a category (laughs) i was like wait what and i i think i had the page open on my laptop for like a solid week just looking at it being like is it going to change is this real life (laughs) yeah no but um it is really really awesome and congratulations for sure and you know, with whiskey itself as well, the people that are around the distilleries and the people that communicate about whiskey, they're just as important as the spirit itself because how else are you going to find out great whiskey to drink, right? If there's no one to tell you that there's yeah. great spirit out there. Well, it, I, I found actually in the industry that because people love to talk to distillers and they're honestly so fascinating yep. 
um, to chat to, but a lot of distillers want to talk either about geeky stuff, which most goes flies over most consumers' heads, or they want to talk absolutely nothing about whiskey and they just want to sit down and have a beer and talk about literally anything else. (laughs) (laughs) So it's good to highlight all the people that that make the whiskey happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you mind giving us and everyone kind of a bit of a background on yourself, your history within the whiskey industry? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been quite the the roller coaster. I mean, I hated whiskey for so long, um, which is the true irony, I think, because I was working as a bartender in just these like dodgy nightclubs, and you'd always just go home smelling of the rankest, cheapest, whatever they had. Even if you'd never touched a bottle of whiskey the whole night, you'd go home smelling like super cheap blended whiskey. Yeah, I'd, I'd been bartending for um, many years. I got into cocktail bartending. And that's really kind of where I hit my stride because I'm based in Melbourne. I worked at a bar in Camberwell called Bar None, and there was over 200 classic cocktails on the menu that like anyone could order anytime. I was like, oh God, (laughs) I had to learn how to make all of them. So it was a really good kind of foundation. And that kind of helped me be like, okay, whiskey's not so scary. Uh, And then I worked at another bar in Fitzroy called Polly Bar. And I took over teaching the, they were kind of like Bucks Party events. So just be like a group of guys who were like, yeah, we'll do a whiskey tasting and learn about whiskey for a Bucks Party before we go for kick-ons and get absolutely sozzled. Um, <laughs> and, and I hypothesized, and it turned out to be fairly accurate. I was like, look, if they rock up to a bar and there's a woman talking to them about whiskey, they're typically going to behave themselves a bit better. It actually worked out really well when I started taking the um, taking the classes. But yeah, that was where I started researching, and and it it took me from cocktails to whiskey, and the stories. The stories is what got me. There are so many myths and funny tales and true tales and totally false tales um, in in the whiskey industry in Scotland, in Australia, everywhere, especially in America as well. When you talk about like bootleggers and all these fun, quirky things, I kind of just fell into it from there. And then I was like, I want to learn more about whiskey and I want to challenge myself. I, I got a job at Whiskey Nailment, which I was very lucky to get that job. It's <laughs> not exactly an easy bar to uh, <laughs> to apply for. They don't have a high staff turnover, but yeah, I was lucky enough to to get the job there. And that was, it was like going to university for whiskey, working there. And now I'm working for the whiskey list and I get to take all that knowledge and, and I like, I still keep learning. I still research. I, I've got a, a tasting on Ardberg later this week and I'm like, cool, guess what? I'm going to do a deep dive into everything I could possibly learn about Ardberg. So yeah, it's, um, it's very exciting. It's been a wild ride and I don't even know how I ended up here. <laughs> Come on, please tell me. <laughs> But you know, um, like, do you recall, I guess, that first dram that started it all? Or did you have a dram that was kind of like that for you? It was a cocktail. It was a cocktail, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was a cocktail. So uh, a lot of people might not know this, but in the bartending industry, like, bartenders get treated real good by brands. It, it's kind of a consensus that a bartender is your unofficial sales rep. You don't have yeah. to pay them, but they like your product, they will push the hell out of it. And so brands will often do uh, lots of events and tastings and, and cocktail competitions is the main one. 
I've competed in a few cocktail competitions, never won anything. I was always the bridesmaid, um, <laughs> but I went to a cocktail competition for Woodford Reserve because a good friend of mine was competing and they had free old-fashioned cocktails on tap. Oh, amazing. <laughs> oh, man. It was so good. I will say the inner bartender in me is like, why didn't they clean the pith off that orange peel? But <laughs> I was like, it's free. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I had an old-fashioned cocktail. I was like, oh, this does not taste like ass. <laughs> you know? This is terrible. And so I started, I think my next one was Glendronic 12 in an old fashioned. And then I tried Star Nova in an old fashioned. And then from there it was just whiskey on ice and then whiskey neat. And now it's like, just give it to me out of the barrel. <laughs> Cut out the middle man. <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing. And I hear all the time about all these new distilleries open up and we're getting this like renaissance in scotland yep. of new yep. distilleries you've got lag you've got Doorknock, uh which has just released arden american is kind of the first to lead that charge and you've got oh god the guys from morrison's are building a distillery as well and then you've got del riata from north star oh my god it's just I'm like this is just more gay like i have to look <laughs> <laughs> It's bad enough. I work with Buna Harbin. It's just more Gaelic in my life. <laughs> yeah, Brad and I usually um wait until we've got kind of the name down pat before we feature one of those bottles on one of the episodes. We like got some good ones. Yeah. We're like, oh, I want to drink this on an episode, but I can't pronounce it yet. So let's just wait a little bit. Hear a <laughs> couple more people say it, and then we know we're good to go. Yeah, it's, it's always a, it's like, am I saying it right? Are they saying it right as well? I um. So one of the owners at Whiskey Now Mint, he called it uh, Craigalaki for many, many years until he went there. And they're like, what you call it? And he's like, oh, Craigalaki. And they're like, it's Craigalaki. And he was like, oh, shit. I've been saying it wrong for years. <laughs> and I've got a friend. He he works for a brand that has um, Craigalaki in the blend. And he can't say it right, but nobody's corrected him because we just enjoy it too much. <laughs> Oh, that's gold. I mean, if you can put on a decent Scottish accent and say it with confidence, I doubt anyone would question you. Absolutely. Like, and I think half the fun for me as well, especially when I was working at Whiskey Now, was when people would say it wrong. Like, um, I, I almost had one of those um, bingo cards of, of mispronunciations. <laughs> it was great. It was like, which pronunciation of the frog will it be today? <laughs> And I guess kind of somewhat related to this, like when it comes to your roles in like whiskey outreach and communication within, I guess, your day-to-day -day position, like what does that entail? Because I know we're quite familiar with some of the things we've engaged with you and seen you at, which have been like the whiskey tastings and the whiskey show. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, God, my job kind of changes from day to day, depending on, you know, what we've got coming up um, predominantly. I do a bit of admin work where um, I'm not like a huge company, um, surprisingly, but so we all kind of have fingers in different pies. So I, I do a little bit of admin work because um, I have a, a mathematics and accounting background, um, which is <laughs> totally worlds apart. Um, but predominantly, most of what I do at the Whiskey List is hosting virtual tastings. Um, so I do the research on the brands and I, I chat with um, the guests that we have on. Usually we try and get someone um, from the brand. Uh, and I'm, I'm lucky enough that with a lot of 
the guys that we have for virtual tastings, they're, they're people I've met before and, and have really good friendships with. So it feels like I'm hanging out and drinking with friends because, you know, a lot of the consumers that come to the virtual tastings are um, repeat offenders, as it were. <laughs> uh, so it, it's always a really fun um, time. But uh, aside from that, I do also do research for writing articles. So... Um, this is going to sound so bizarre, but apart from my mathematics and accounting background, I also have a degree in English literature and creative writing. Um, <laughs> I like to think that like one keeps me sane from the other. <laughs> yeah. um, so, and it's good, you know, when, when you've done so much like number grind and stuff like that to just like, oh, I'm just going to write and, you know, use a thesaurus and, 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 make these words sound beautiful. Um, but yeah, so I, I write a lot of content, some distillery briefs. Um, I write articles on uh, whiskey related things. Um, uh, and I also um, do written interviews with um, with people. Actually, I've got an article for International Women's Day um, and I've got Christy Lark and uh, Angela Andrews. So Kilara and Fluro Distillery because they're two women that I absolutely admire and look up to. And their whiskey tastes amazing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's primarily, you know, kind of content and education. Uh, and then when I'm not behind my desk, I'm running around all over giving people samples of whiskey <laughs> and running the uh, bottle shop at all of our whiskey shows because we have uh, the whiskey show and the whiskey list. It's a great opportunity to travel all over Australia and like meet so many people. Yeah, it's it's ever changing, ever present. All the different things that I that I do in my role, plus as whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> that that's always a pro. I think that's really why Brad and I got into the podcast. Yeah, yeah. To, to justify the midweek drinking, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whiskey yeah. first chatting with Brad second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, likewise. Even like for Daniel and myself, we've been to some of the tastings that the whiskey list have, and we've been to the whiskey show as well. You know, they're great experiences. The one, especially for me, was probably one of my standout experiences from last year was just the Deanston Bunnahabhain tasting. That was incredible. Mm. Deanston just absolutely blew my mind um, how good the spirit is, especially that, I guess, how accessible and affordable it is for good spirit. Just just goes to show, you know, you don't have to break the bank to get good whiskey. Yeah, I feel like whenever I talk about Deanston, it's, do you remember that? ad from years ago where the guy walks into the corner store and he's like i'd like a liter of milk and she just would you like low fat no fat to example yeah. like 10 of them and he's like i just want milk that tastes like real milk that's how i feel about deans and i'm like i just want whiskey that tastes like real whiskey you know yeah just simple easy like delicious affordable it's just one of those in, in the stable. It's yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, the twelve <laughs> I think is just one of those where it's it's just so good. Why like just the twelve in general? And I, I just yeah. haven't gotten the courage to I guess break away from that just yet. Which is I guess one of the good things we found about these tastings where we do get to try them. Yeah, it's so much more convenient. But I will say because obviously I get sent every single whiskey. And I'm not a big drinker at home. I'm more of a social whiskey drinker. I just have this absolute graveyard <laughs> of full little sample bottles <laughs> all over my house. <laughs> I'm going to collate them. I'm trying to give them to everyone. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it is definitely 
Just like instead of finding change in your sofa, you just find little bottles of sample whiskey. Yeah, it's like, that is my life. <laughs> and then being like, I'm sure I still have this one specific one from a tasting six months ago, but now I can't find it to give it to someone who wants it. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I guess like on the theme of tastings, right, with hosting um, all these events and working with the whiskey list, do you ever get a chance to revisit bottles that you previously didn't enjoy? Yeah, I, I'm always down for giving a whiskey a second chance. But if I if I don't like a whiskey though, I'm like, no, don't put it anywhere near me. I'm not interested. I'm not having it. And and I have some um, I have some distilleries that I, I definitely don't go for. And I'm glad you love Archie Rose because I'm you know I like their stuff, but I I just can't get as excited about Archie Rose as some other yeah. Australian distilleries. It, it's just not the kind of flavor profile that I'm, I'm uh, more attracted to. But the same is said of like Lafroig and Ardberg. Like I'm hosting this Ardberg tasting. I don't really like Ardberg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, blasphemy. That's, I know. Oh, we, I know, we love I know. Ardberg. <laughs> it's, it's such a, it's such a controversial opinion, but um, yeah, I, I, cause Lafroig and Ardberg were really the two single malt whiskeys that I was first introduced to when nightclub bartending, they're kind yeah. of, the staple that you have on the bar for peated whiskey. So for a long time, I thought I hated peated whiskey, but it turns out I just didn't like Ardberg and Lafroy. And and I will say I've gotten the opportunity to try at least a hundred different bottlings of Lafroy, and I found four I liked. You know, <laughs> just four, but four, and that they're ones that I absolutely loved. And if I could get the opportunity to taste them again, I would I would go for it at any chance. I think Ardberg, there's only been two I've really, really um, been drawn to. You know, like I'll never, I'll never say no, even though I know I probably won't like it. <laughs> you know, give it a shot. Yeah, that's um, that's so interesting as well. Where you, where you go to say like with Lafroy and Ardberg, because in my mind they sit on two different ends of like the peated spectrum, where one's yeah. very medicinal, it's got those hints of iodine, and then Ardberg's almost like a campfire, a little more barbecuey. So then it's mm it's like complete ends of the spectrum there for Pete. And so then I kind of wonder like, what about Pete do you like? Like in that expression? Yeah. Well, so for me as a lady, <laughs> I, I've done my nails a few times. And when I first smelled Arbeg, all it smelled like was acetone. It's yep. definitely that medicinal vibe, but all I could get was acetone. In the last couple of years, the aroma has changed as my palate developed and it's more grassy, but I still can't get over that like iodine acetone sharpness, whereas Lafroig is a more vegetable type of smoke and they're completely different. But Lafroig tastes like two week old steamed asparagus that you're eating raw. Like it's just, it has this wet, rubbery vegetable thing for me that I just can't get over, especially in uh, ex bourbon casks. But then I tried an Octomore and I was like, holy cow, like this has just changed my brain. Uh, and I, I find myself more drawn towards peat that is more probably kind of earthy yeah. or, in, in, you know, intense like Optimore because Optimore almost feels like you're not drinking a peated whiskey. Your brain kind of switches off because it's like, well, there's so much peat, but what else is there? Yeah. And so it kind of acts as a numbing effect. And I think I tried a series of Optimores and they just tasted like paddle pop ice cream and and vanilla ice cream i think that was the 10 series so good i was like 
all I can taste is rainbow paddle pops. And everyone at Whiskey Nail was like, yeah, okay, that's exactly what you mean. <laughs> As I said to the master blender, um, oh, sorry, the master distiller at uh, Lechegg, I was like, Lechegg is my ride or die. <laughs> like, it's it's such a creamy smoke. I always describe it as like a mechanics whiskey. It's a bit oily, yep. a little bit coffee creamer in the break room, a little bit metallic kind of thing. So I, I think there's more like earthy metallic kind of vibes uh, and even like sweet smoke, like Calila, they're, they're much more my jam. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm glad you said that about Leche because I think that's like a lot of what I associate with it too, kind of like a mechanic workshop, maybe like a wooden shed like you know the place is definitely not up to code like they've got like (laughs) oil soaked rags and near like an open fire definitely a crack or two and it's not just in the plaster (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's like positioned on the coast so you kind of get like a little bit of a coastal breeze coming through yeah yeah some of the pegs are taste like walking on a sandy beach it's really cool i've had had a few vegetable Lechegg, sorry, um, that tasted kind of like Lefroig's, but I I just think that it's got this, just that creamy element to it that stops it from going full Sunday roast dinner for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like this is kind of a good place to interject and say we've all got a glass of Lechegg in front of us now. And I think we did dance around it a little bit earlier as well when we're talking about that Bonahab and Tasting, where I'm pretty sure that also featured Lechegg 18, which... Mm -hmm. I remember you saying then was like your all-time favorite whiskey. Uh, <laughs> is that still the case or is that just, is it more of a classic? Well, I think the thing is you've got your favorites, which are like easily accessible. So for me, Leche 18 is like, you can always buy a bottle of Leche 18 and it'll taste yeah. just like yeah. one you buy a year later. But my one of my unicorn bottles, you know, we'll never see it again, we'll never find it again, is also a Lechegg, but it's a Wilson & Morgan 18-year-old fully sherry cast matured Lechegg. Oh, that sounds incredible. Oh, <laughs> it, I, I will never forget the tasting that I had for this. I was like, this tastes like the Library of Alexandria. It tastes like licking papyrus and old leather books. <laughs> and it was just like so old and leathery and decadent. And I nearly cried uh when it was finished <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so so the Chegg is probably my favorite whiskey it's, it's been my favorite whiskey for the last four years i don't think it's going to be changing anytime soon um yeah I, the 18 is just it's special enough that you can have it for a special occasion but it's easy enough to drink that you can have it every day if you wanted to like yeah it's such an overachieving whiskey <laughs> <laughs> what it is actually the, the lechegg 10 year old that we're drinking now is actually the first lechegg i ever tried yeah, yeah and even the same for us yeah and, yeah and even with just the lechegg 10 it kind of goes back to what i mentioned before with dinston 12 this is so accessible relatively yeah. affordable as well and again just showing excellent whiskey isn't always going to break the bank and make you cry whenever you pull your card out and your hands trembling at the <laughs> f-boss machine like should i do this i know i shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. but yeah and even speaking of unicorn bottles for me mine is my bottle of open 21 that i got off my mm. now wife truly for me that's like an exceptional whiskey and then now it's also one where i've got an eensy little bit left in the bottle and i'm like really really dreading seeing that one go because it's one of those where am i gonna get it again don't know if i am um because yeah it's, it's a little hard to find now yeah i think my at least one of the unicorn bottles I can think of would be a Kragenmore 12 that was part of Diageo's 
2019 yeah. special releases. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah, that one's amazing. And, like, I loved it because of the fact that, like, when Talisker had that drought and then they couldn't turn a lot of their malt into the whiskey, they sent it to Cragmore and then they used that kind of lightly peated malt in it. And it was just, like, it has been so good and I've really, like held onto that bottle because I'm just terrified of it disappearing and then I'm never going to be able to try it again. <laughs> it's that gut-wrenching decision of like, do I open it, enjoy it, savor it, and then it's gone forever? Or do I hold on to it and hoard it like Gollum? <laughs> My <laughs> precious. <laughs> My precious and then never drink it and then die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally, totally understand. <laughs> yeah, that. Oh, that's yeah. actually interesting, Daniel. Like, because I thought... I was, I was so sure you were going to say it was the bottle of black art that you have. I haven't actually opened that yet because yeah. I've just also, been holding on to that yeah. basically for a time when Brad and I can share it in person. So I, I don't know how good it is. It was the 1994 one? I think I've tried that one. 26 years old? Yes, I believe so. I, I, have, I have tried that one and I have also defaced one of those bottles <laughs> um, with a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> Because we were throwing it out, and once upon a time, thankfully not so much anymore, people used to go through the bins at Whiskey and Element to grab rare bottles and refill them and sell them. Like, I I think it only happened, like, once, but that that was enough to be like, okay, we're going to make sure that nobody could potentially resell this and trick anyone but yeah i remember standing there drawing dicks on the <laughs> black art with a with a silver sharpie and uh, <laughs> that's such like, a coincidence because my bottle has a bunch of dicks on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah so i i felt like i was shitting on the the legacy of, of whiskey <laughs> but at the same time having so much fun <laughs> oh that's funny um and i guess even like going into like another random question it's something that daniel and i have spoken about before where it's age statements you know they're not always the best indicator of quality mm. of, of spirit in a bottle and has there ever been times where you've tried something that's like either young or old and then has it either met your expectations exceeded them or fell incredibly short and like i won't throw you on the bus under the bus i know you 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 speak with brands and distilleries so you know i'll go first for me it was like the glenn brothers 25 um i tried the 12 18 and the 25 like almost in succession Mm -hmm. and from those three i'm pretty sure the 12 was my favorite and i was just like the 25 just had this really weird funk that I could just, mm. like, I just couldn't get out of my palate after I tried it. Like, I'd wash my palate, I'd go back, and I'm like, it's all I can taste now. And I just can't, yeah. I can't even think of going back to it. Yeah, I, th- there's definitely been quite a few. I mean, like, I, it's all a personal thing as well. Yeah. And I think there is that kind of almost placebo for some people. They're like, I spent this much money on a bottle, or it's this many years old, yeah. so it must be good. And if I don't find it 100% amazing, like then there's something wrong with the way I taste things. It's it's not. It's I've had so many old and young whiskeys um, that have been amazing and terrible. You know, like I'm the same with Glen Goyne. I prefer Glen Goyne 18 over Glen Goyne 21. Uh, with Glenfiddich, I prefer Glenfiddich 15-year-old, if they still probably make it. <laughs> I, I prefer the 15-year-old over any of the older age statements. Uh, Redbreast 27, I'm not a big fan of the Redbreast 27. I, I, te- I like it, but I, and I can see how others like it, 
but I'd rather drink red breast 15 or red breast 12 calf strength. Like I, I think that it, age really doesn't indicate some kind of increased level of quality. Um, but, but on the same hand, I've tried a 34 year old Kalila that blew my mind and it was incredible. And I was like, savor it. So good. Uh, and that was a Cadenheads bottling, um, with the gold label. And then I tried, I think we had it on the bar at the same time as a peated four-year-old Bunahavid by Cadenheads, which was also freaking amazing. So it was like a 34-year-old and a four-year-old were two of my favorite bottles on the bar at that one time. It, age really doesn't like, Yeah. It, it, it's just, it's all about what you like. And if you get the opportunity to try higher age statement, older whiskeys, that's awesome. But I don't think like you need to, to, to feel justified as a whiskey lover or a whiskey drinker but also you don't need to make your personality. You know, I've met some people who are like, I only drink whiskeys that are over this many years old. And I'm like, cool, have fun throwing your money down the drain. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to drink what I like to drink, not by the number on the bottle. I love the Lechag 10, but, you know, the Lechag Sinclair no age statement also really does it for me. So yeah, it's, it's all about what's in the bottle or not what's on the label yeah and again that's that's so good to hear because i know like daniel and i we've spoken about this so many times in regards to the age statement and even just the abv in general Mm -hmm. where some people live or die by car strength if it's not car strength then you just hear them with everything that you give them under 50 percent. the only tasting that they give you is this is thin and you're like can you just stop being a pretentious idiot and just (laughs) enjoy what you have in front of you um because you know, whiskey can sing at so many different levels. It's not always just going to be car strength, you know, yeah. so. And and the thing is as well, some whiskeys do this bloody Jedi mind trick with you and, and in Scotland they'll decrease in ABV as they get older. So I had a 32-year-old Glen Turret that was natural car strength of 44%. Yeah. Like, it was delicious. But it was like, how, what on earth happens at Glen Turret once it hits 30 years old where the ABV just starts plummeting? Like, you know, and, and I agree, like, cask, higher ABV whiskeys can be great, especially in terms of mouthfeel, but it's not the be all and end all for how a whiskey behaves and, and how a whiskey tastes at different strengths. Like, I don't like to add water to my whiskeys. But I also love drinking a 43% if I get the chance. <laughs> I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. And I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about this beautiful spirit we have in the yeah. bottle. So I know we already mentioned like on the nose, it's like a mechanic shop floor. It's like you're almost, you can imagine yourself licking the tile. Yeah. I, I always get this like smoked Chantilly cream. Like, you know, when you get those fancy French creams that are not super sweet. They have that like decadent, I'm about to get liver failure uh, <laughs> vibe to them. <laughs> At a croc monster once and I was like, oh, how are French people not a million miles wide and also <laughs> have terrible livers? Like, <laughs> yeah, and I think as well, like just what's so great about this one on the nose is like the peat is there, but it's it doesn't feel offensive at mm-hmm. all. I mean, people probably listen and they think, you just said it, 
felt like you were licking a mechanic's shop floor. How is that not offensive? <laughs> but it isn't. Into that, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not offensive at all. No, but I think yeah. what really struck me with this one, um, thinking back to the first time I tried this on the palette, was just I really got hit by like the coastal note mm. and just almost like sea air. And then it almost felt like I was just in Brighton on the pier having like fish and chips. I was like, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely loved that note. I, I've converted so many people who didn't like peated whiskey with Luce just because it is so like rounded and, and soft and approachable. And it's like, you can definitely tell it's still peated, but it's, you know, it, it, it's not offensive in, in a smoky way. And it's really interesting when I was chatting to the, the master distiller, Brendan, they use um, Highland and Isla Peat whenever they can get it. And then it's matured on the mainland mostly with some stock being held on Mull at the, at the distillery. It, it's got this identity of so many places. You know, she's a multicultural whiskey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, but it, and it's, it's all of those factors, you know, that it's distilled by the coastline, matured in, you know, the Highland region. And, and the casking, um, obviously, bourbon and sherry and the heavy pea. It kind of all comes together in this beautiful equation. You're a much better friend than Daniel. I know he converts his other non-whiskey drinking friends, or he tries to anyway with Talisker. He's like, you haven't had mm. pea before? How about I punch you in the face? <laughs> <laughs> I will say the new Talisker tastes different to the old Talisker, uh, the 10-year-old. Oh, wow. Oh, I have not tried the new one yet. <laughs> So the new one with like the the orange label and whatnot, um, it has a much softer. You probably actually enjoy it, Brad. Um, it's much more like salted oranges. Ooh, than that, that sounds really caramel good. Caramel seaweed. Yeah, it, it's kind of erring a bit closer to that that Highland Parky kind of style, but maybe less honey and more like where there's original caramel. Whereas the old one, which I love, um, was that like dried nori seaweed um and and caramel it's it's so interesting to see that like such a slight change in what barrels they've added into the mix makes a huge difference i've always described like talisker 10 like it's for me like it felt like i was in a lighthouse on like the very edge of a rocky cliff during a storm and just like being pelted by waves with lightning outside yet i'm still having just like a great time and <laughs> i i wonder how this will change my my perception of that. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still great whiskey. Yeah. But I feel like for the diehards and the people who um, know the brand in and out, it, it's kind of like when Highland Park changed their um, their batting as well. You know, newer Highland Park tastes very different to, to older Highland Park. I think it might actually be an improvement with Highland Park because it, it works really well in sherry. But yeah, the the Talisker. The Talisker change is real interesting. I haven't tried the new 18-year-old bottling, um, but, yeah, I'm not sure. Oof, I may have to get on that. I do have a bottle of the 18, and I, like, I, drew, I love that one. I've, yeah, I've the, really the 18 enjoyed it. The 18 is really, really good. Yeah, I've enjoyed most of the Taliskers I've had. I remember when I first tried Port Ray, like, from, I think, like, the neck pour, I wasn't too... Um, impressed with. I did enjoy it a little bit more, like upon revisiting a week or two later. But, um, and I guess like maybe this could also like. Do you find that bottles tend to change over time? 
It's a it's a legitimate thing. So it's um it's to do with oxidation. Because like mm. once you've opened that bottle, air gets into it. And like different whiskies can oxidize different ways. So for example, for me, I find the Lagavulin and 16 oxidizes shockingly quickly. And I don't really like the oxidized flavor profile. Whereas uh, I remember the um, Altavine Speyside Distillery did a no age statement release and they, they thought they were being real cute being like, we're the first heated no age statement Speyside whiskey. And I'm like, whatever. Um, I like your juice. Just put it in my face. Um, and the first, the first time we drank it, we were all like, this is not good. This is not great. Like, this is a disappointment. Thank God it's cheap. And then I was like, you know what, look, I'll give it another try. It's been open for like two weeks on the bar. Obviously not open the whole time, but um, it's had that oxygen in the system. And I went back to it and I was like, oh my God, this tastes like apricot music bars and I'm in love with it and I want to buy a bottle. So like that little bit of oxygen in the bottle really changed it. And and I've seen... I've seen the guys at Whiskey and that leave the bottle literally without a cork on for an hour because they know a whiskey needs to oxidize because it's not good at neck pour. It's not something you should necessarily need to do, but it's something that, you know, can happen. Can do it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and obviously, like any good science experiment, you know, you got to be careful adding too much oxygen into the mix and whatnot. <laughs> um, I do have kind of another related question so sorry i'll go i'll go on to my next round which i guess will term like our personal ones so we all shared the le Chake 10 now we're each bringing a dram to the table for me i'm probably doing this tasting backwards because i've started with peat and now i'm going into something that is definitely not peated but it's something i i like really love and i think i know well enough to at least be able to talk about it without <laughs> needing to rely solely on a completely like unadulterated palette <laughs> It's the Glenallachy 15, um, or the Glenallachy 15, as I was originally called <laughs> before I realised that that's not how you say the name. <laughs> but one of the things that really got me about this bottle, and upon adding like a little bit of water, it goes from just really good sherried whiskey to a whiskey that's like characterised so strongly by like cafe toasted banana bread. And I found that um, really, like, explicit and vivid flavor, like, really, like, shaped my experience of this whiskey and made me really enjoy it. And so every time I I pour a dram of it, I always take a couple of sips, like, before I've added water. And then add water just to enjoy that change again. And, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be with water, but um, is there anything you've noticed that can really change your experience of a dram from being, I guess, somewhat average or just kind of like a somewhat decent quality to like elevating it to another level whether that's like in a cocktail whether it's adding water whether it's you know whatever i i feel like i'm a bit of a heathen i only ever like whiskey if it's as it comes in the bottle or with a mixer or cocktail i i find that when i add water to whiskey i lose a lot of the flavors just for like what my palate is looking for when it's searching and trying. Um, so I actually avoid adding water to my whiskey um, as much as possible. Even if it's high ABV and I find it very hot, I would rather just like leave it open to oxidize than add water. I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I find that 
my palate just makes it sharper once the water's in there. It's very confusing. But so I always, always drink whiskey pretty much neat or I'll, I'll put Coca-Cola in. <laughs> <laughs> I love smoky whiskey and Coke. Um, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Usually it's just a slash. You can still taste the whiskey. But um, uh, but yeah, cocktails for me. I mean, I love whiskey and apple juice, like fresh green apple juice in summer. Oh my god, it's life changing. It's so good. Um, or like a highball or an old fashioned. I, I think that like whiskey and cocktails is an opportunity to elevate all the aspects of the whiskey, um, while also making it more palatable or you know slightly lower ABV, whatever it happens to be. I have this patriotic pull towards American whiskey because I'm originally from California, but I, I don't necessarily choose it unless it's a mint julep, in which case I get so drunk so quick. <laughs> 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 Two shots of bourbon with some sugar and mint? Yes, please. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I'm weirdly a purist. I just have it as is. I don't put anything in it, but I, I would never begrudge someone to add water or ice or whatever it happens to be that works for you because it is it's also personal yeah you know but yeah i i I tend to just stick with it as it is in its natural form yeah yeah i think daniel and i probably sit in the same boat with the caveat being that every now and again we'll add water just to see what it does Mm. but we're very strong we usually do that um either one for experiment's sake. We we did start that initially when we were looking into whiskeys and then we kind of got to know like, oh, if like which ones we wouldn't really add water into it because you could almost tell like this, I don't think that water is going to improve this, but we have had some cast strength whiskeys where, um, I mean, maybe just personally and it can differ for us, I guess, as it would for anyone where I'm like, this hits a little too sharply. I might add a little bit of water just to soften it up to bring it a little bit back down to something that I find more enjoyable, which I guess goes to what you were saying. And, you know, yeah. it's a safe space here. We we, we <laughs> think whiskey should just be drunk how you like it. Like if it's your, especially yeah. if it's your whiskey or if you're paying for it, like. Exactly. I, I always had the same thing at the bar where like, sometimes you used to get those guys who'd come in and be like, I'll have this whiskey with Coke. And I'd be like, okay, sure. That's fine. Would you like a short glass or a cold glass or whatever? <laughs> like no i was joking i didn't think you'd actually serve it to me with coke and i'm like mate you could order the most expensive whiskey on the bar and ask for it with coke i don't really care like it's your whiskey it's your money whatever you want to do with it i'm never going to judge and and especially i find when when people have dragged someone who doesn't drink whiskey and then they're forcing them to drink it neat i'm like i'd rather they put a mixer in it so that they can enjoy it because it's not about drinking whiskey for the sake of drinking whiskey it's drinking it to enjoy it. If that person doesn't enjoy it neat, they should add whatever it is they need to it so that they can, so that they're honoring the people whose hard work and many years slaved <laughs> to make this liquid, like, you know. Yeah, like we, like we, like we were saying, the, the age isn't just a number on the bottle. You gotta think people have been monitoring this for however yeah. long, making sure that the spirit that comes out at the end is actually good product. Or, you yeah. know, what, what they deem as good product is. <laughs> we we don't always agree. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I guess before I go on, like, for me, my second dram, the Talisker 8 from the 2020 special release. Mm-hmm. And that's the Talisker in the yeah. rum cask. That mm-hmm. that one's solely probably one of my favorite 
task releases. It's so good. Like just on the nose, I almost get like custard and it's so sweet and almost inviting. But then when you put it on the palate, it's like green chili, just absolutely just mm-hmm. across your palate, just constantly just spice, spice, spice. And then you're thinking, where was the sweetness? It doesn't exist, <laughs> but it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Just, yeah this one's um, one of my favorite talisker's. Well, I, I'm lucky enough to, to live nearby another whiskey lover. And so we trade samples all the time. And he's got an amazing SMWS collection. So he, he send, sends me samples of um, SMWS. So I'm, I'm drinking a um, number 35, which is Glen Murray. And I think it was released a while ago. It's called Sparkling Pear Cider. But I I I love Glen Murray so much. And I think it gets such a bad rap because it is one of the cheapest single malt whiskeys that you can mm-hmm. buy. And so people yeah. think it must not be good. It's amazing. Like I'm I'm not saying it's, you know, right home to your grandparents, uh, you know, mind blowing <laughs> will change your life. It is just a solidly good whiskey um at a really good price point and and i think they they need more love than they they currently get i feel like i have this tendency to to take all these unloved distilleries under my wing and be like you're my favorite i love you i mean like it's i feel like which has got a very underground cult status and if you know you know glenn murray has this you know like kind of not great rep and i'm like no i swear she's lovely oh that's that's so funny you mentioning uh glenn murray because i know i've got a bottle of the elgin classic um Mm. and that was just when i was almost really at the beginning of my whiskey journey and my wife was kind of like not sure if this is just a passing phase or so i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm not gonna just break the bank on a bottle and i thought this is so good. And then like, I'd look at, I was like, how much did you pay for this? She's like, like under $50. And I was just like, this is insane. And then I was thinking, to ask, and of course, you know, it's, I think pretty sure it's at 40%, but it still has a really good flavor. It still provides a good experience. And especially when you're thinking about for how much you've paid and how much yeah. you've put on the, put on the counter for the bottle. It's just absolutely incredible. And yeah, for sure. Not enough people give, Glen Murray any respect at all because they're just yeah. like oh this is always under $50 at Dan Murphy's mustn't be good why are you trying to get well, rid of it <laughs> yeah so from from what I understand um and from friends who've like talked to the guys at Glen Murray Distillery um Dan Murphy's has this like big bulk purchase contract or something with the distillery mm-hmm. so the idea for them is Glen Murray is the under $50 single malt age statement whiskey that they stock and then, you know, because they know people are going to buy Glenfiddich, they're going to buy, you know, Glenmorangie and all the others, which are slightly higher price point, but they have Glenmurray is kind of like, this is the core standard that we stock at an affordable price. Uh, but that also is kind of why you can't get, get Glenmurray in other bottle shops and you can't really see it across bars though. So it's, it's great because it's affordable, but because Dan Murphy's has the contract for it, you will never really see it outside of that. And so not a lot of people get the opportunity to try it. Luckily, they've decided to start doing a bit more marketing in Australia, um, external to Dan Murphy's. And and my good friend who, she loves Bunnahaven and I work for Bunnahaven. I love Glen Murray and she works for Glen Murray. 
Um, <laughs> so she um, can see a very symbiotic relationship there. <laughs> it's beautiful, right? It, it's so fun. And we're like, I'll work your stand, you work my stand. Like, let's do this. But yeah, so they're, they're trying to they're trying to get into it. They're trying to push it. And they've got a French parent company as well. But it, it's it's really hard when when you're a distillery in that position trying to you know get your name out there, but people ignore you and then leave you by the wayside. But a friend went to Glen Murray Distillery and he was like, oh, you know, I'm from Australia, and they're like, oh, we've got this one bloke. He orders so much whiskey from us. What's his name? Dan something. <laughs> yeah. So there, I I don't know if it was just like one of the guys in the admin office or whatnot who had no idea, but they're like, yeah, some bloke named Dan Murphy buys a lot of our whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, I mean, this one is called Sparkling Pear Cider, and, and oftentimes the names are a little bit eh compared to what they taste like, but this is spot on. Like, it's pear cider. It's like super juicy it's got those um like white jelly bean gelatinous kind of vibes as well um i always get like white flowers and lemon peels and a bit of lime peel off of glen murray it's just such a fresh whiskey it's, it's very similar to distilleries like glen Ord. glen Ord is like if lemon lime bitters was whiskey so you know it, it's it's just so fresh and approachable and i think that's probably why i like it is because i'm like oh i can just relax and enjoy it and it's just a happy time and yeah it's, it's easy that's um no that's so good to know as well about uh, glenn murray but yeah i guess kind of before we get towards the end of the episode and i wrap up just like a question around i guess having hosted so many tastings and our friends often come to us where they're like what should i buy i really want to get into whiskey or whenever they come over they go they always ask you know i know you have a lot of whiskey can you host a tasting for us? And then we'll go through and we'll put together a flight. I think my question is just how do you go about trying to introduce people to whiskey and getting them to kind of get into this incredibly huge world of whiskey? I, I always find the best ways to find out what they drink normally. So I have yeah. kind of like what I like to call a, a Rolodex of flavor. So I have distillery profiles and, and flavor profiles for distilleries in my head that I kind of know, okay, these are the flavors I'm going to get when I put this in that. I kind of use that as a reference base. Um, and then I always ask, what do you drink normally? Do you drink beer? Do you drink wine? Is it white wine? Is it red wine? Do you like liqueurs, you know, um, and, and stuff like that. So typically wine is always the easiest to work with. If people like white wine, something like Glen Murray, Glen Lossy, Glen Ord, Glen Elgin, most of the Glens um, <laughs> in, in that in that bourbon cask style are going to have a lot of similar notes. Uh, same with gin. If they like to drink gin, then those like softer, citrusier, um, bourbon cask, lighter styles of whiskey are always kind of the go. If they like red wine, okay, you know, do you like a sweeter red? Do you like a drier red? And then you can kind of pick from there if it's a whiskey and a red wine cask or if it's a whiskey and a sherry cask and what kind of notes you're going to go for. I remember at Whiskey and Ailment, um, we, the manager used to say, if you don't like ben, uh, Belvini 12-year-old, you just don't like whiskey. So we would always give Belvini 12-year-old to people who wanted to try whiskey for the first time because it is a people pleaser. For a while in the podcast, 
um, last season, Daniel and I were really much, pretty much just stuck in Australian whiskey. And that's all we were, we were reviewing. So then we thought, okay, you know what? We're going to go and we'll talk about some, um, some scotch. Then we actually had the Balvenie 12. And it, it was probably one of the funniest things because we had just hadn't had scotch in so long. Yeah. And we were, we were both like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it's just like Balvenie 12. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> we're like, this is incredible. We we're both just absolutely gushing over the, the whiskey like this is so good it feels like we're going home this is incredible. it's like we've yeah. been so far away from this flavor these prof this profile yeah it's one of those things almost like a 300 year advantage really helps yeah <laughs> funny that isn't it but yeah i always kind of go with what they normally drink and be like all right what are flavors that they already know how to identify and how can i use that to get them a whiskey that they already feel like they know on the opposite end, though, you can always do, like, the throw-in-the-deep-end in tactic. Yeah. I've done that with a few people. We had a, a, a dram called uh, the Warehouse Dram, and it was an undisclosed Isla whiskey, and it tasted like Wagyu Brasola, and it was just – it was incredible. I had so many people who were like, I want to try Peter whiskey, but I've never tried any before. And I was like, try this. You'll like it. And without fail, everyone loved it. It was just – so unique, um, very kind of similar to Octomore, but just not as not as high peaked and a little bit more sherry casking on it. But like Octomore and Port Charlotte are another one. Um, I find particularly women's palettes tend to go for Port Charlotte. It's got this like funky brie cheese thing to it that women tend to love. But yeah, so there's finding similarities approach and then there's the deep end approach. I feel like with peak, sometimes you need the deep end approach for people. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's um, that's so good to know as well. Um, because I try to take a similar approach, but I did have like an occasion where, like, my friend, one of my friends that is really starting to get into whiskey now, then he came over. He's like, I want to try as many as whiskeys as possible as we can. So I was like, All right, cool. I'm just gonna pour like less than half drams so we can kind of go through as many different casks, as many different profiles, and interesting stuff that you probably haven't tried before. And I remember him going, Ooh, I really want to try that Westwood you have. And it was in the stout, it was in a stout cask. And funnily enough, mm -hmm. like I bought it at the whiskey show. And um, I, I just, cause I just mentioned that it was finished in a beer cask. So he's like, oh, I want to try that. Bought it. He's mm -hmm. like, I hate it. I hate it. He, and I'm, he's like, I don't know what <laughs> it is. He's like, there's just this really weird flavor that I just can't put my foot on. And I'm like, and I was like, do you like Guinness? He's like, no, I hate Guinness. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing why did you tell me to pick that bottle off the shelf yeah some of them just take an absolute left turn and i think that's what i love about it is that there is no like it's always going to taste like this you know yeah. obviously yeah. Yeah. More releases yeah. you know you've got a bit more consistency but for the most part it, it there is so much variation that's that's why i've always said like if you say you don't like whiskey, it's just because you haven't tried the right whiskey yet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because there is such a breadth of so many. variety that you can get from it. And I guess this kind of like leads us into the last two questions. So is there a particular bottling that's coming out that you're really excited about? A particular distillery you think doesn't get much love? It could be an independent bottler or even just like 
maybe an American distillery that you feel doesn't get enough love here? I mean, no American distillery gets that much love here. I mean, they don't send us the good stuff. Send us the good stuff. Oh, oh before you go on, I can tell yeah. you right now. So for me, Bourbon, Elijah Craig is just oh, my yeah. just, I adore Elijah Craig and they just do not get enough love. Yeah, it, it's there's so much incredible stuff coming out of America. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to, to try so many distilleries. Um, there's a distillery in Kentucky, they use MGP spirit, but they're called Bell Mead and they do like sherry cask finished bourbons and they are just phenomenal. That just decadent and i'm super into them elijah craig is another great one and like we should be seeing more elijah craig on our shelves yeah. like I, I wish we could get more of it um there's a, a rye made in virginia i believe called uh Catoctin creek uh they stopped importing it into australia and i nearly cried i found a bottle in like the middle of nowhere in hall's gap um for a really reasonable price i was like give it to me <laughs> <laughs> They give it to me now. So like Catoctin Creek rye, their roundstone rye is so gorgeous. And I'm much more of a bourbon girl than a rye girl. So the fact that I love it is like a massive endorsement. Um, but then there's this tiny dinky distillery called San Diego Distillery, literally in San Diego. They make a single malt, which is terrible. Um, but they make this bourbon, which is amazing. It's so, so good. And it comes in these absolutely tiny bottles and I shudder to think how much it would cost to get a bottle over here. It, like, it probably goes for nothing over there. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's so many, so many underrated di distilleries um, over there in America. And Del Back is another amazing one, a guy who has a furniture making company in Arizona and he smokes the barley with offcuts from his furniture and it's amazing. But again, try getting your hands on it. It's nearly impossible. <sighs> so many good ones. I mean, and in terms of whiskeys coming out this year, I mean, we we work with um, Decadent Drinks who do Whiskey Sponge um, and Angus McRailed. If you haven't seen the Whiskey Sponge blog online, it looks like a broken link when you Google it. <laughs> like, it is the funniest thing ever. Like his level of satire is just beyond anything I could imagine. Like I, I absolutely idolize his humor and, and he's been around the industry a long time. So he's seen, you know, uh, all the, the, the wanky shit, but I was on in every industry, you know, but, and he does some amazing bottlings. I think we've got, uh, no, it's not whiskey, but I think we've got a 50 something year old Armagnac or Cognac or something that he's bringing. We've also got the, um, the new nine-year-old fully matured in a Bordeaux cask, Le Chague, which is part of their limited series, which is like super dry and really cool. I only just got to taste it recently, and it's it's gorgeous. It's elegant, I suppose is probably the word you you would think. It's it's very like you know demure old lady in like Downton Abbey. It's her whiskey. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, there's, there's always so much and there's so much exciting. And, uh, we've got the, the Aussie whiskey show coming up at the end of next month. And I, I don't even know the lineup of the exhibitors, but I'm sure there'll be like 20 people I've never met before who only just watched whiskey. And, <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's new guys cropping up all the time, but 
yeah, it just it never stops. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No rest for the weekend. Excellent. Okay, and so last question for this evening. What's what's going on? Like, you got anything coming up that you're really excited about? Any projects you're involved with? I know you've already mentioned a few things around, like, um, the whiskey shows and some of the interviews you're writing, but I guess just an opportunity to shout out anything we may have missed. Yeah, I mean, oh, so much. Um, <laughs> we've got we've got heaps of shows. We're, with the whiskey shows, we always try to make to make them bigger and better, and, and we're always constantly improving them. So um, I'm really excited. I think there there may be a um, kind of a whiskey festival event um, in the works. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that because, you know, seeing how it is, hopefully we can always make it bigger and better for, for next year. I, I will say that I will shout out because we were talking so much about American whiskey. Um, we have our USA Whiskey Show, which unfortunately is only in Sydney. But if you can get there, oh, my God, the one last year was incredible. It it was so amazing. And I'm really, really excited and looking forward to that one this year, especially since, you know, we don't get to see that much and, and really have that time to dedicate to American spirits. So it was, it was very fun. Oh, so when is that going to be? Well, August. <laughs> August. Okay, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Excellent. Well, I guess to wrap up the episode, thank you so much for joining us, Emma. It has been an absolute pleasure hanging out with you this evening. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. For all our listeners, you can find Emma on Instagram at whiskeylady. That is whisk underscore e underscore y lady. You can also probably find her if you're purchasing a whiskey list tasting. She'll be the one hosting most likely. And now if you'd like to get into touch with us, you can reach us at dreamtalk.au at gmail.com or you can slide into the DMs on our socials at dreamtalkpodcast. Now, our glasses may be empty, but we hope yours aren't. So, if they are, pour another dram! dram!